Walter Lenore was a North Carolina planter who believed he owed everything to the South. He served in the war, and he paid almost everything. We'll find out how when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Looking for answers in real estate? We break it down for you. Each week, the Exeter Group explores how successful investors evaluate and acquire real estate to build their portfolio. From financing tips, tax and accounting strategies, and advice on how to control risk, the Exeter Group entertains and informs while divulging secrets used by the most successful investors. Tune in to the Exeter Group every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Radio Studio A. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with William L. Barney, author of The Making of a Confederate, Walter Lenore's Civil War, a book about a North Carolina planter who, uh, after supporting the Union, opposing secession, is suddenly transformed by the call for troops that Lincoln issues in 1861, sees it as a threat of invasion, and throws in his lot with the Confederacy uh, with a wholeheartedness that matches his pre-war Union spirit. Um, we've talked about that in the first couple segments, and we're, we're getting at last to uh, Walter Lenore uh, joining the Confederacy. Uh, how does he do this, uh, Bill? Does he raise his own regiment? Does he join another regiment? No. Uh, initially, well, he didn't... Uh, well, Walter joined as a private. He didn't leave for the front immediately because he was the only one in the family with a legal background that could make sense out of his uh, departed brother's uh, incredibly complex estate. So he was hoping of being able to settle that and sell the land, but, uh, of course, in the context of the war and the confusion of the estate, he couldn't. So once he was convinced of that and he got all his affairs in order, Walter was a very uh, regulated, controlled guy and uh, left directions if he were not to uh, return. Uh, and Walter, uh, January 1st, 1862, uh, made his way down to the South Carolina coast to join the company that his brother Tom had formed. So he entered the Confederate Army as a private and attached himself to uh, the Haywood Volunteers and spent most of the winter long through early early March basically teaching himself how to be a soldier. He got out the manual, taught himself uh, from that, learned how to adapt to a quite different diet and 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 the army toughed himself up, was very, very proud when he reported back home that he was developing muscles that he didn't know he had and never felt better in in, in his life. I mean, this is clearly a test of manhood. And um, stayed on the Carolina coast, and this is part of the uh, stationary defense network that Lee had put up after the fall of Port Royal. 
and thought he would see his first military action when uh, when that company was sent into North Carolina to seal off uh, Burnside's invasion. Uh, and he came close, but he saw no combat duty in uh, in North Carolina. They were stationed around Kinston. And uh, he then discovered that Tom was not going to re-enlist. He now returned to his native county, Caldwell, and uh, raised troops and was elected uh, an officer by uh, by the men. And they were trying to attach themselves to a regular command when... um, Zebulon Vance was trying to put together, this is before obviously Vance was governor, Vance was trying to put together what was known as Vance's uh, legion. So it was sent back in eastern North Carolina for a variety of reasons. Vance's legion never got off the ground. Uh, Walter then, however, discovered that friends of his had secured him an uh, officership in a different regiment, part of Lee's army. Uh, went up to Richmond in late June 62, and very soon would see that combat action that he desperately wanted to have to prove himself. What regiment was he in then? Um, North Carolina, geez, drawing a, a blank here right now. Uh, uh, oh, okay, I want to say 37th, 7th? 37th sounds right. It would obviously be in the index. It was the North Carolina 37th that was attached to uh, Jackson's Corps, composed primarily of troops from uh, western North Carolina. And they do see the action that he looks for at, at Second Bull Run. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lee starts to send troops uh, north after McClellan is ordered back to Washington by Lincoln. Uh, Walter's uh, company and regiment uh, pull out. Uh, his first battle will be uh, the Battle of Cedar Mountain in August 62, when uh, Jackson uh, bloodied the nose of the advancing elements of Pope's army. And it was here that the diary was uh, in was it was invaluable. Uh, Walter uh, kept the diary. Well, first first entries were as soon as he arrived on the Carolina coast, and he has very vivid descriptions of his feelings going into the battle, <clears throat> what he did, spent most of his time rallying his men, often literally pushing them forward, uh, proving that he went flinch uh, when the bullets came. Um, and the battle was over. Walter escaped unscathed. And he made the comment, I had to prove to myself that I could do it. I did. And frankly, I don't care if I'm ever in another battle again. <laughs> but uh, that was hardly to be the case. This was Jackson's Corps. So Jackson drove the men up uh, to eventually what became the Confederate victory at Second, Second Manassas. And uh, Walter's company along with the regiment, but especially Walter's company, was almost decimated at the uh, first full day's fighting at 2nd second, second Manassas. Uh, we're talking about two-thirds casualties here. Uh, though, ironically, once again, Walter was fine, but there's only a nub of the company left. The company was down to about 12, 15 men who reported for duty, and in the final stages of the 2nd Manassas campaign, mainly Lee's attempts to outflank the retreating Pope by using Jackson's Corps. Uh, Walter's company uh, took part in what's known as the Battle of uh, 
Ox Hill, uh, or sometimes the Battle of Chantilly. It was a minor engagement, but it was this battle that resulted in the devastating wound that Walter received. He was resting at twilight, and a Yankee sniper um, uh, took uh, two many balls. Uh, one shattered his shin bone and tibia, and the other uh, his ankle, and knocked off the toe. And um, again, the diary was incredible. Walter obviously wrote this as soon as he gave regained consciousness after the operation, but uh, one of the best accounts I've ever written of the reality of experiencing a wound during a Civil War battle. Uh, he was wounded about 8 o'clock in the evening. It was a Sunday night, uh, September 4th, I think. Dragged himself to a clearing, desperately trying to get to the rear, but he only exposed himself to uh, many balls and shells from both sides. Fortunately, was then found within a half hour by Confederates who were aware of his wound. They made a uh, makeshift uh, uh, stretcher, blankets, and uh, branches that they had chopped off a tree. He was then carried to a farmhouse about a mile away and placed on the front steps. There wasn't any room in the house because there were so many Confederate wounded in it. And throughout the night, he was in agony. His visitors to the farmhouse were continually kicking him in his shattered leg. He was then taken out to a field, along with hundreds of other wounded Confederates, spent a day and a half out there, and uh, finally was operated on uh, with about 72 hours after the, um, after the wound. Fortunately, they had chloroform, so the operation was relatively painless. But as soon as he woke up, they loaded him into a farm wagon with no springs and jostled him for 20 miles to Middleton, Virginia. And he described every single jolt of the wagon. It felt as if my stump was being thrust in a molten fire. It's an incredibly vivid account. Gets the Middleburg, and he's dumped in the middle of the street. <laughs> Fortunately, a minister's wife spotted him, and they were able to make, a, make accommodations for him. But it was just an absolutely vivid account. It, it, it really is. A, it's a, a very vivid is the word. Last week on the show, we had Michael Flannery, who's written a book on Civil War medicine. And mm-hmm. uh, he mentioned that many soldiers died not from the amputation, but because they were left in the field too long. And, yeah. and gangrene set in. And it sounds like uh, Lenore was fortunate uh, to have the amputation take place. Yeah, basically the triage when the physicians or surgeons would go through the fields, uh, if your wound was in an extremity, uh, you had a pretty good chance of surviving if they amputated it, if they amputated in time to prevent gangrene. Mm-hmm. But head wounds, stomach wounds, uh, there was nothing they could do. Uh, next to nothing that they could do. So yeah. Walter was found in time, and. Um, uh, it was a relatively successful operation, uh, but it was so two weeks before he could sleep because he had to sleep on his back in order to let the stump drain. And he just, he just said one of the worst things about this was I could just never get to sleep. But one of the most amazing documents I've ever seen was the first letter that Walter wrote from Middleburg um, to his brother, to his uh yeah, to his brother Rufus back home. And Walter had a very neat handwriting. Uh, he was a superb writer. 
this is a very short letter, and you would think that a three-year-old had written it. A big, blocky, shaky letters. Rufus, this is Walter. I'm wounded, but I'm alive. Please come and get me. Wow. Incredible letter. And that is, and it, 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 you know, archival research uh, it doesn't sound like all that much fun to, to the outsider, but once in a while you come across something yeah. like that that just... Something that really makes it worth worthwhile. It does. It just brings it to life in your hand right there. Wow. Well, now, Walter is eventually brought back and spends the rest of the war in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But not in the comfort of his home, of his family's home in Fort Defiance. No. His older sister, his mother, want to look after him and take care of him. But after about three weeks, Walter said no. Again, he finally found an identity being a Confederate soldier. Walter obviously didn't like slavery, but he had so many attachments to the South, but he could never find a role that he could play. He did enjoy being a lawyer. He did enjoy being a slaveholder. Okay, he was going to marry and raise a family. Well, that didn't work out. And Lincoln's call for troops gave him that identity, defender of his home and, and the South. But that was an identity that apparently in his mind would be undercut if he came under the care of women and was viewed as a helpless invalid. And uh, after a few weeks, Walter moves out to the family property in the wilds of western North Carolina, lives with eight of his slaves, on whom he is almost totally dependent for survival, and uh, stays in those mountains until the end of the war. And as soon as it's confirmed the war's over and the slaves are free, the first thing Walter does is drive off his slaves. Uh, he's finally free of the institution, in his mind. Well, this, the uh, the post-war section, and there are so many interesting things about this book. It really fulfills the, the mandate of the series, where it's a, a short book about a concrete, readable tale that, that raises all these issues. Yeah. Um, one, one, for example, is, is the controversy among historians as to whether the South was defeated ultimately by a lack of will or internal dissent, uh, as, as people like you know William Freeling or Drew Faust might argue, or if it was just a just, just beaten down militarily, as Gary Gallagher militarily, as a Gary Gallagher would argue. Yeah, uh, and this gives us insight into one particular family. Um, where they, they certainly aren't defeated in spirit, but uh, there's just no resources left. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the men are, are dead, self-inflicted wound, or uh, Walter's leg wound. Or, or, on the other hand, there is Rufus, who just doesn't want to go. Uh, yeah, Walter, to go. Uh, yeah, Rufus, uh, no. Rufus always expected the worst. Walter always has to build up his morale during, during the war. But if it were up to Walter, the Confederacy would have fought almost to the last individual. He did not want to give up. Well, and we have talked all the way to the last minute as the music comes on much too soon, as always. Um, well, thank but, you very much for having me. Well, Bill, thank you very much for being on the show. Listeners, you will want to get a copy of this book, The Making of a Confederate, Walter Lenore's Civil War. It is a very interesting story that really personalizes some of the war's great issues. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. And again, Bill, thanks Thanks for being here. Again, thank you very much for having me, Jerry. Listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.